Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to it. It is the 29th of May, 2023. Happy Memorial Day to you, and I hope you are marking it with family and friends and fun and just a moment or two to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice to make it all possible. That's what it's all about. It's not Veterans Day. Veterans Day is November, the 11th day of the 11th month. But this is Memorial Day, the people who lost their lives. So keep that in mind as you tip back some chicken and some beers. We'll do the drawing for the uh, books tomorrow. Announce a winner there at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter com, where you can check out the Week in F and Review, the news, the way it deserves to be spoken about there, and all those other good things. I want to get right to it because this Memorial Day, I want to get to my Memorial Day and... As a best of, I decided to run the uh, pinnacle of my professional career, me filling in for the greatest of all time, Rush Limbaugh. It happened the day after Thanksgiving, in the year, right, well, a few months, about a month and a half before he passed away, two months before he passed away, and I was the last new guest host that they uh, ever had, completely honored for that, so thanks to everybody involved for that. And enough about me. Let's get on to you and Memorial Day and me filling in for Rush Limbaugh. Sitting in for Rush, a noted author who's also a senior columnist for townhall.com. He's the host of his own show on WCBM in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Hunter. Holy cow. It just got real, didn't it? <laughs> Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh show. I am not decidedly not Rush Limbaugh. It is an honor to be here. I'm Derek Hunter. And wow, you know, you hear that song your whole life basically while driving in a car sitting there at home whatever and, and to hear it on this end of it is is as scary as i thought it would be if it sounds as though i'm nervous it's only because i am uh let me just take a second before we get into anything else and there is a lot to get into holy frank tanana it is a busy news day even though it is should be a slow news day but that's just not the way the last four years have worked i've got to to pay homage to rush just because well as you heard Johnny Donovan, uh, John, Don, uh, Johnny Donovan tell in the open, I have my own radio show, which again is really cool. I want, to, I want that to be a ringtone. Um, I have my own radio show on WCBM in Baltimore, and uh, the whole genre, everybody who has a radio show, pretty much owes it to Rush. He created it. You'd sit there and you say, "Well, how do you pay tribute to Rush? What do you say to a guy? He's the Henry Ford of talk radio. He created the industry, and for him to." Say, here are the keys to the to the Camaro. Don't scratch it. Is a thrill and terrifying simultaneously. So, uh, thank you to Rush. We can't replace him. We can only fill his chair for a day or two, and uh, he'll be back here 
on Monday to undo any damage that I do throughout the next three hours. The number to be a part of the show, as always, again, saying this, really cool, 800-282-2882. And uh, it's Open Line Friday, so pretty much anything goes. Like I said, we've got a lot to get to today, and you want to chime in on that, absolutely you're welcome to, or anything else if you are... Out there doing the Black Friday, a little bit about me. I grew up in Detroit, so if you watched football yesterday, I apologize on behalf of the city. <laughs> Man, I always say that uh, it's a joke, because and it's funny because it's true. I grew up in Detroit. We don't have a professional football team. We just have the Lions. And, yeah, so sorry, America, about that. Unless you're a fan of the Texans, which, who's a fan of the Texans? So we ruined your early dinner. And the the late game wasn't much more exciting. But, yeah, I grew up in Detroit. I moved to Baltimore. I went to Wayne State University in downtown Detroit. Grew up in a small town called Redford that nobody's ever heard of. It's easier to just say to Detroit because it's six blocks outside of Detroit off of Eight Mile Road. So, yeah, me and Eminem didn't know each other at all. But um, he actually grew up on the other side of Eight Mile, which is the good side of Eight Mile. I grew up on the bad side of Eight Mile. But... Uh, I majored in theater at first, which is uh, scary. Don't let your children grow up to major in theater, ever. After a year of that, I decided that I couldn't stand the phony people. The girls were good-looking, but the people were so phony that I went into politics. Yeah, so, again, not the brightest bulb on the tree, but it worked out. Got a job at the Heritage Foundation. I've pretty much done everything you... Just, I've had more jobs than most families have had. Last count, I think it was 73 jobs. This might be 74, filling in for Rush once. So, yeah, if you name it, I was a maid for an hour. Roofing was one thing I did for a long time. If it, if you had to shower after it, I had that job. And if you had, and then eventually I learned to move into showering before a job when I did. Kind of the grunge era, nobody era, really nobody showered. But I moved to Baltimore, worked in Washington, D.C., been involved in politics and news ever since. And here I am. I write columns three three days a week, four days a week for townhall.com. And I host a podcast called, appropriately enough, the Derek Hunter Podcast, which, you know, they had the name first. So it worked out for me. It is Black Friday. It's weird being here. It's weird being anywhere on Black Friday because I uh, I used to be one of those people. My uh, my shopping year revolved around Black Friday. I absolutely loved it. I, I was in my trampling shoes. I'd go out and I'd knock people over. 50 bucks off a TV, elbow to the throat, whatever it took. And this year, it's off. It's online, and there are some stores open. I saw some pictures of some kids who will probably never kiss a girl sleeping outside a GameStop to buy a PlayStation 5, but I don't judge them. That's not judging. That's just being poignant. they got to learn sooner or later. But that's it. You know, I, it's just a different world thanks to COVID, and boy, how do we have some news on COVID as well. But I want to stick to the Thanksgiving theme as hypocritical politicians jet off around the country and sit there and say, don't you dare go visit family. Now I'm hopping on this plane. I got to get out of here because I'm going over to grandma's house. It really was one of those days for absolute total hypocrisy. I mean, it's been a, it's been a season for hypocrisy. That's kind of what the leftist does. It's, it's, it's hypocrisy. There's a great book called... Um, 
Do as I say, not as I do. Profiles in liberal hypocrisy by Peter Schweitzer, long before he became wildly famous over Clinton Cash and the book on the Bidens and everything. He wrote this, and it's, it's probably 15, 20 stories in it about various left-wing political figures who are like, oh, oh preach. I'd love to preach. Boy, how did they love to preach? But uh, they don't actually live that way. For example, he's got stories about Michael Moore, union busting on his old TV show, TV Nation. Kind of a big deal. You're a big pro-union guy, but you threaten to fire people if they join a union when they work on your TV show. The Kennedys, no bigger proponents of the inheritance tax. And their money is all in tax-free shelters, and it's handed down generation to generation without paying any taxes on it. Because they're, they're above the law. Laws are for the little people. So hypocrisy is nothing new for the left. Gavin Newsom out in California going, eh, let's, let's have a party. Let's go to the most expensive restaurant in the country and uh, sit inside, and we'll have a blast. And the bar tab, something like $1,500. I don't even know how. And, well, speaking of the Kennedys, they could probably do it. But otherwise, I don't know how anybody can get a $15,000 bar tab. How do you do that? Give me your most expensive bottle. I want to throw it against the wall and then keep bringing them until I throw my shoulder out and need Tommy John surgery. That's about it. So there's that out in California. Then we had uh, Governor Super Mario on steroids up in New York. Andrew Cuomo, don't see your family. Don't see your family. Now my mom's coming over. You got to go. People said, wait a second. That's not right. So he reluctantly canceled it, although I wouldn't be surprised if There was some sneaking in there. I wish somebody had been camped out in front of all of these people's houses. The media scolds who sit there and tisk tisk you that you want to see your family on Thanksgiving. Give you those monologues and lectures. I want to see if they had anybody over. Of course, we'd have to have an honest media for that. So that wasn't likely to happen anyway. Then we have the mayor. Mayor Michael Hancock of Denver, he took it to a new level, which is, you know, usually the coastal guys are the ones who are really stepping in it. But uh, Michael Hancock said, I got this. Hold my beer. He told everybody, stay home. Don't see family. Don't do this. Don't do that. You've got to do this, that, and the other thing. It's for the safety of the people of Denver. It's for the safety of people of Colorado. Then after issuing a tweet saying just as much, he hopped on a plane and flew off to see his mom in Mississippi. (laughs) It's like, what? Huh? And then, of course, he issued the the apology. I fully acknowledge that I have urged everyone to stay at home and avoid unnecessary travel. I have shared how my family canceled our plans for our traditional multi-household Thanksgiving celebration. What I did not share, but should have is that my wife, my daughter, uh, and my daughter have been in Mississippi, where my daughter recently took a job. And as the holiday approaches, I decided it would be safer for me to travel to see them than to have two family members travel back to Denver. Wouldn't it have been safer? And you've been telling everybody you pretty much stick in place? Yeah, he has, but rules for thee and not for me. I recognize that my decision has disappointed many who believe it would have been better to spend Thanksgiving alone. Yeah, like you'd been lecturing everybody else. Exactly like that. As a public official whose conduct is rightly scrutinized for the messages it sends to others, I apologize to the residents of Denver who see my decision as conflicting with the guidance to stay at home for all but essential travel. 
are there mem- residents of Denver who see his conflicting their decision, conflicting with the guy, not conflicting with it? Like, well, this is exactly in line with with his order to stay home, him going somewhere. I made my decision as a husband and a father. And for those who are angry and disappointed, I humbly ask you to forgive decisions that are born of my heart and not of my head. By the way, if you leave your house, I'll give you a $1,500 fine and up to 30 days in prison. He didn't say that last part, but he wanted to. Hypocrisy. Thanksgiving. This is the problem. This is the left. Hypocrisy. Anger. Resentment. Division. This is who they are as people, as human beings. It's very weird to watch these people talk about tolerance when they are the least tolerant people on earth. Of course, it was a day that ends in Y, so there were riots across the country. There was burning, there was smashing, there was statues being torn down. New York Post has this story. Anti-Thanksgiving protests erupt in several U.S. states overnight. And they go to, of course, the first place they cite is Portland. That's what happens. In, it's, oh, it's a day that ends in Y. The sun is up. Let's go burn something. Well, you know, there's a statue. Let's tear it down. Who's it up? Doesn't matter. Let's rip it down. Post reports, vandals went on anti-Thanksgiving and anti-colonial crime sprees in several U.S. states, smashing and defacing storefronts and toppling a war memorial overnight Thursday. Well, don't you feel safer now? Doesn't that feel great? I love that, because it was anti-Thanksgiving. Now, really, the only thing that was anti-Thanksgiving is in addition to their F the police and F Donald Trump spray painting and the USA is terrible and anti-police spray painting, is they also threw in a blank Thanksgiving, too. I guess it's nice. They're mixing their bag up, doing something new. At least 10 businesses in Portland, including a Chase Bank and a New Seasons Market along Hawthorne Boulevard, had windows broken and messages like, Land Back, 1637, and F Thanksgiving spray-painted along their walls, according to local reports. Again, they just threw in Thanksgiving. The rest of those messages are the exact same as they always are. That's who the left is. That's where the left is. They talk about... Democrats, I mean, for God's sakes, we just had a campaign where they're like, we're going to bring the country together. We've got to bring the country together. And then you sit there and you listen to the rest of what they say. We will unite the country with those racist, sexist, homophobe, Islamophobe, xenophobe things. What? Why would we want to unite with you? What are you offering in return? That you will continue to call us horrible things that are lies? That you, you'll only smack us on every other Tuesday? Taco Tuesday and, you know back of the hand thursday like what do we why would we unite with you how does somebody unite with you and the fact is they don't want to unite with you they don't want to bring this country together they despise this country as evidenced by well pretty much everything out of their mouths except for maybe out of joe biden's mouth because it's hard to tell he can't really string together a coherent sentence but i figure somewhere in that word salad he tosses is the hatred of the country that the left fully thoroughly embraces but I, uh, I just want to point out something, because you, you hear this all the time from the left, that this country is fundamentally racist. It's fundamentally, it's founded on racism. My God, the 1619 Project, they just went absolutely nuts. So I, I, I want to give you something, and I've never done this before, but I've never spoken to 25 million people before. And I'm going to read just a, uh, I'm actually just going to crib notes from my book, Outrage Incorporated, How the Liberal Mob Ruined Science, Journalism, and Hollywood, to give you an counter-argument to all of these leftists who talk about how god-awful racist this country is. 
It's not to say racism doesn't exist. It absolutely does. In a nation of 330 million people, you're going to get every flavor of person and every problem on the planet. But to give it some perspective, I think that's wildly, wildly important. The uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, which the left loves to cite, they just they, they put out a press release like, "Oh God, we love the we love the Southern Poverty Law Center because all they do is ta- attack conservatives and label them." Racist, which gives leftist media cover to say it's not us saying it, it's the Southern Poverty Law Center. They estimated in 2016 that there are between eight and five and 8,000 members of the KKK in the country. Now, that's, you know, that's a wide range, average about 6,500. It's the granddaddy of the racist organizations, Democratic militant wing back in the day. But it's important to note that the granddaddy, that in 1916 had... Four million members, I believe, a century later, had 6,500 on average. And to give that more perspective, that same year, 2016, the WNBA, the least popular professional sport, if you can call it that, they celebrated that year as a wild success because their average attendance at a home game, which I guess every game's a home game to somebody, was 7,655. That means, on average, Southern Poverty Law Center says about 6,500 members of the KKK in the country. And the WNBA had 1,155 more people at an average home game, the least popular sport on the planet Earth. Whereas a century earlier, there were millions of members of the Klan. If that is not progress, if that's not something worth celebrating, then nothing is worth celebrating. But to hear the left tell it, it's gotten worse. It's way worse. How did they do that? Well, they created things like microaggressions and things like that, things that are so so subtle that you don't even know you're being racist, and the person you're being racist to doesn't even know you're being racist to them. But some impartial, woke, third-party observer can sit there and fold their arms and tisk tisk and go, you really shouldn't have said it that way. It's too cis-normative and heteronormative or whatever terms they make up. So what I'm basically boiling it down to is this Thanksgiving, be thankful for this country. Be thankful for liberals exposing themselves so freely and willy-nilly, but never, ever lose sight of the truth that this country is the greatest on the history of the planet. And amazing, the only country in the world where where you are born, the station in which you are born, has nothing to do with where you end up in life. I, the son of an auto worker and a disabled mother, neither of whom graduated high school, are sitting behind the golden EIB microphone, talking to 25 million people. If I can do that, you can do anything. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh program. I'm Derek Hunter, sitting in the big chair behind the golden EIB microphone, still shaking like a leaf. The number to be a part of it on Open Line Friday, which is another cool thing, is 800-282-2882. Uh, I, I promise we'll get to your phone calls this hour because it is Open Line Friday. It's, your, it's Russia's show. I'm just keeping the seat warm. But just a couple more things on this division left, and it'll be a theme that I'll return to because it's something that absolutely drives me nuts constantly. I, we're all one, but we have to look at you this way. They define you as by your gender, by your skin color, by your ethnicity, by whatever. Whatever you decide, they find new and creative ways to divide people up. We used to be a melting pot. Remember that? Now we're a series of chafing dishes, and they just manipulate everybody around because it's much easier to divide and conquer. It's, it's no 
saying unite and conquer. That wouldn't work. So I'm looking at the, the news the other day, and I see this thing, Multicultural News Network. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The Multicultural News Network, a television channel focusing on diverse content and voices, will launch in the second half of 2021. Well, that's a long telegraphed punch. But they say they'll produce daily newscasts. It's going to be a cable channel, apparently, quote, serving multicultural communities, including but not limited to blacks, Hispanics, LGBTQ communities, Asians, Native Americans, People of Middle e- and people of Middle Eastern descent. You sit there and you see this, and you're like, I, I don't really care. Generally, it's just so weird about the bifurcation of society by the left, as they're calling for unity. Every and it's across the media. NBC News has NBC News Black, NBC News Hispanic, Fox News has NBC News Hispanic, as if like the news is different based upon what your ancestors did. Uh, centuries ago, where they came from. Mine started off in Poland and pretty much would go as far west as they could, stop, mate, send their kids west. So I'm pretty much everything over there. But none of it matters to who I am. What my parents did to me, and thank God they did it to me, matters to who I am. It should be the same to you. So they just keep on dividing. i got a lot more to say, including something that's, I think, pretty damn funny. Coming up after after news, I'm Derek Hunter filling in for Rush Limbaugh. And now back to Derek Hunter filling in for Rush on the EIB Network. Well, I'd say that never gets old, but it's brand new. So it's not, it'll, it'll still never get old, but it sounds weird to say it after it's only the second time of Johnny Donovan here saying your name. I am Derek Hunter. This is the Rush Limbaugh program. It's open line Friday, 800 282 the telephone number from anywhere in this great country. And it really is great. And before we get to your phone calls on open line Friday, I want to, I promised, uh, I teased that uh, I'd give you a, a little funny story about my thoughts on, on this. It's just garbage of, of ethnic identity and nationalism, and or not nationalism, but um, the division of the left. I find it exemplified in what used to be one of those old, uh, not old, it's like a year old, ads for the, the spit in the tube and find out your, your DNA history. You know, like, oh, you swab the cotton in there. It's like a COVID test, except you, you miss your nose and you go in your mouth. And they'll tell you, well, you're this much of that one and this much of the other one. And the one guy in the commercial where he's sitting there is like, where I grew up, we were all German. We'd dance around in lederhosen and eat wiener schnitzel and invade Poland and Czechoslovakia and hate France. And then I did the spit in the tube and I found out that I'm Scottish. So now I eat haggis and, and wear kilts. And all, like, is your identity really? That's kind of the problem. It's kind of liberalism where you're just like, that's that's who you are. It's, it's not who you are. It's decidedly not who you are. Who you are is who you are. What you do is who you are. Your acts, your experience are the culmination of all of those things are who you are. And the bad mistakes you've made and you've learned from them, hopefully. And the good things you've done and you learn from them, hopefully. Sadly, that's what I really despise about liberalism is that it is so desperate to absolve people of any responsibility for their bad decisions, to insulate people from their bad decisions. So what do you get with that? You subsidize something, you get more of it. You insulate people from the consequences of their actions, what happens? You get more of it. Oh, I can go out and 
I can take $250,000 out in student loans to go to Smith College and major in gender grievance studies. And wow, there's not a whole lot of jobs in that field. Starting salary is $22,000. What am I going to do with this $250,000 in debt? And then in comes big government. Don't worry. Here's a lollipop. Pat you on the head. We'll absolve you of it. It's not your fault. How could you have possibly done a simple Google search to find out the starting salaries of your field of study? Who would have ever thought that going to one of the most expensive colleges in the country was a bad idea for an unmarketable degree? We've got you. And then you start seeing people looking to government to take care of them. It's insidious. It's subtle. It's not all. That's that's one of the more obvious ways. But the school lunch program, now the school breakfast program. Oh, so kids learn what? That the government feeds them in the morning and in the afternoon. And they'll stay open in the summer and they'll feed them then. And you sit there and you think, logically, what is, what is food stamps for? What is welfare for? We're giving parents money to feed these kids and house these kids. And then we're saying, but don't worry, we'll do it for you. So what does that mean? The mom sleeps in, the dad sleeps in. You can get up and make a bowl of oatmeal. You can, you know, make an egg. You can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I had, you know, brown bag lunches every day. My mother had one leg. She had her right leg amputated when I was nine. Every day I went to school with a brown bag and had two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or bologna and barbecue sauce, don't get me started, or something else, and like a hostess treat. One day a week I was allowed to buy lunch. That was it. Wasn't living high on the hog, but I was living, and most importantly, I learned that my parents cared enough to do that for me. If it was just go to there, tell them your free lunch, and that's it. We probably could. We might have qualified. I don't know. There were free lunchers. But we weren't going to do that. Changed and shaped who I am. And that's a hell of a lesson to learn rather than suckling the government teeth, going, don't worry. They'll make breakfast for you at school. Now get out of my room. I'm trying to sleep. That doesn't really tell your kid a whole lot good anyway. Anyway, let us get to the phones. This is the Rush Limbaugh Show, and it is Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. Scott in Miami, Florida. We start with you. Not much nicer weather than where I am. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Good afternoon, Mr. Hunter. Thank you for taking my call. I want to tell you that uh, after uh, Trump lost Biden as president, it doesn't matter if you put Elmer Fudd in in the White House. This country is done for. And let me explain what I mean by that. We have 80 million people, 70, 80, 90 million people unemployed. 2020 is going to look like nothing when 2021 comes around. Uh, people can't pay their bills, their mortgages, everything is shut down. The stock market is phony. It's, 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 it's overblown. You've got a dollar that's going to become worthless because the Federal Reserve keeps printing up trillions and trillions. Well, you do have to be wary of the Federal Reserve. You can go on eBay right now, and for like 15 bucks, you can buy a $100 trillion bill from Zimbabwe. That was legal currency at one point. So I take your point on that one. I got to take issue with you, though, Scott, on the idea that we're done for. We're never well, done let me explain. for. Well, let me explain well, what I mean ahead. by that. We're, we're done for in the sense that our political leaders have turned our backs. The American people have tyranny for government. When you have a Federal Reserve that is controlled by international Jewish bankers. All right. You have a That's media, enough, Scott. Have... Thank you. <laughs> uh, it was only a matter of time, wasn't it? It's open line Friday. But, yeah, no, this country is not done for. This is the United States of America. We can pull our butts together. The problem is that we have to have the will to do it. And Republicans are very good 
at mouthpieces and saying we got we've got to do this we've got to be fiscally responsible unfortunately they're really good at it when they're not in power the vocalizing it when it comes time to governing that way they become less good but as we have churn and burn in members of congress we get more conservatives in there and people who recognize the problems in this country that are spending and you can't dig your way out of a hole then yes we can get some fiscal sanity. It's just a matter of, you know, being on the front deck of the Titanic and seeing the iceberg. Can you make it up to the wheelhouse in time to warn them? Because that iceberg doesn't swerve. And debt sooner or later will become seriously problematic. I feel bad for having two daughters, three and a two-year-old. And we've already spent their money. Their kid, they're going to have to have kids to inherit the debt that we're incurring now. Now, COVID is a separate special circumstance it's a once in a century hopefully fingers crossed thing so some of the spending is understandable but it's also a great opportunity for conservatives to make a case in liberal states in blue states to say look because the democrats just want to bail everything out like we've been spending like drunken sailors for decades our public sector unions are through the pensions are through the roof and we we just keep kicking the can and doing accounting gimmicks that if you did it at your Fortune 500 company, you'd be thrown in jail for. Like Bernie Madoff is, is a piker compared to what the government does in their accounting schemes. And then you say, well, Nancy Pelosi wants to bail out the states. It's only fair. It's only right. Then you see stories out of California and out of Michigan. Now, these are only two states. This is sort of a new field of study. So I assume there's more where they're paying unemployment benefits to people who have no business being on unemployment. Scott Peterson, for God's sakes, is out in California. He was collecting unemployment benefits in California. Murder. He's doing life in prison without parole. He might have gotten the death penalty, but I think it's life in prison without parole. And ABC or NBC4 out in California, at least 35,000 unemployment claims filed on behalf of California prison inmates, including Scott Peterson. More than a billion dollars in total. They paid at least $140 million in benefits to 158 claims that have been filed for 133 inmates just on death row. And we've got to bail that out? How about you figure out when the hell's going on in your house first, okay? Then over in Michigan, my home state, audit. Michigan may have paid out $1.5 billion in fraudulent unemployment claims. Director reportedly said that it was, quote, not a high priority. Fraud, not a high priority. A billion and a half dollars. Well, what is, what, how much are they asking for for the bailouts? I think they're asking for like four or five billion dollars. Well, right there. I'm all for helping when you can. All right. In this circumstance, sure, we probably have to do something for some of the states and localities, but that shouldn't be the A plan. That shouldn't be number one on the bucket list. It should be you get your house in order. Somebody's coming into your house, a friend, a degenerate friend you went to high school with and goes, hey, I need 10 grand. Right. Well, what do you need 10 grand for? If I have to get a car. If I don't get a good car, I'm never going to be able to get a job. Like, I don't really want to loan you 10 grand there, Jimmy. Make up a name. I don't know, man. And you finally agree to it. Okay. And then the next day, you see Jimmy come up, and he's got his new car, but then he's also got a motorcycle. And he's, you know, putting a new roof on his house. And he's, he's got some new clothes. And you're like, what in the hell, man? Like, well, no, no. I used your money to buy the car. I got, I used my money to, to buy this other stuff. And I kind of wanted this stuff for a while, needed a new roof, always wanted a motorcycle. And you, suddenly you go, wait a second. 
What the hell? You spent seven grand on all this other stuff, and you borrowed ten grand from me to borrow a car. I'm making these numbers up, but they can buy a junker. But you get the point. Okay, if you want me to help you, you got to help yourself first, Jimmy. You can come up with seven grand. We can talk about three. Something like that. Well, California, New York, Michigan. You want billions of dollars from us. You got to convince me. You got to prove to me that you went through your budget line by line and you found every damn nickel that fell between the couch cushions in every office in your Capitol building that you are squeezing that sucker for its dear life and you're taking back everything you possibly can and you're tightening your belt as much as possible and then we can help you maybe with the rest. We can make you help you close the gap, but we're not going to go right off the bat and just, you know, sit there. How much you want? How much you want? Let me just write this. I'm just going to leave the check blank. I'm just going to sign it right there, Uncle Sam, and here you go. Cash it, cash it at your whim. No. No. Hell no. Uh, let's go back to the phones. My mouth does tend to get the best of me, and I apologize. Ah, but you know what? You're right. Bo, we'll go to a break. The number 800-282-2882. This is Derek Hunter. I'm sitting in unbelievably for Rush Limbaugh. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. And President Trump tweeted today that he's heading down there. He does not support this idea, this crackpot idea of boycotting the vote. He's going to go down there and campaign for both Purdue and Leffler, which is great. But right now, Mitch McConnell shouldn't be in Georgia. Mitch McConnell should be in West Virginia. He should be sitting in the driveway of the House of Joe Manchin saying, what committee chairmanship do you want? You can have any of them, all of them. Switch parties now. That's what he should be doing. Yeah, that's that that's a good good idea. You know, I had a thought the other day and I um um with you know, this society is a hyphenated society. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the people that they say are minorities are the people they hyphenate the most. The first the first reference they make is not American, you're American after such and such. Well, I would I would take a little bit of issue with that, Sean, in that it is the left. It is the left that does that. It doesn't matter what, it's not necessarily any skin color. It's leftist. There's a study out of Pew Research that came out uh, August 11th. I just happened to have it opened. Because one of the reasons, one of the things Democrats are doing right now, Sean, is trying to figure out how it was Donald Trump did so well. That racist Donald Trump did so well with Hispanic voters. Really, really well. And there was this uh, poll by uh, Pew that found that most Latinos, adults, have never heard the word Latinx or Latinx or whatever. I don't even know which one it is. And they they said 76% of Hispanics had never even heard of the term. Uh, 23% had used or had heard of it. And only 3% of Hispanics used the term Latinx. Yet you turn on MSNBC, you follow AOC and her tweets, you follow any of the, the gang of four or the squad or whatever the hell they are out there in their tweets. It's Latinx, 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 blah, 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 blah. And people sit there and they go, what in the hell? Who are, why are you changing this? What is going on here? And they're getting sick of it to a certain extent. Donald Trump doesn't care. Republicans don't care by and large. And they don't pander, which is great which is wonderful, which is the way you combat this kind of stupidity and division. Just uh, your person. Are you a jerk or not a jerk? That's all I care about. All right. Appreciate the call, Sean. Let's get to that time. Jeremy in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're next on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hello, Jeremy. 
Hey, Derek. Um, question for you is, it's it's been about two weeks now since the election. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, to me, the only place I seem to be able to go to get a constant stream about the fraud that happened is Twitter and Parler. Um, it seems like not just the mainstream media, but even, you know, my the, the people that I listen to regularly, hardcore conservatives, are not, I look at this as the absolute biggest issue of our time mm-hmm. and so important, but there's only a few weeks, four or five weeks, to kind of make everything happen. And it just seems like this should be topic number one. And there's so many dimensions to this with Dominion and dead people voting and all the different well, this things is, where this happened. Uh, one thing I, I say, Jeremy, is far too many conservatives and Republicans look at Election Day as a finish line. And Democrats don't. It's not. It's a checkpoint. It's an endless marathon. It never stops. It's just a checkpoint. So Republicans will go, dust their hands off, going, election's over. We did really well in the House, blah, blah, blah. Let's go Let's go to an island somewhere and have a vacation and just get ready for the next congressional session, whereas Democrats are already plotting and planning. What's happening right now, and we'll get into it in the next hour, we have a member of the uh, Pennsylvania co- uh, Congress coming on to talk about what's going on. But uh, to put a fine point on what you were saying, Jeremy, most people will not know this name, Gregory Sendstrom. Gregory Sendstrom is a Navy veteran. He's a forensic computer scientist. He testified up in Pennsylvania on Wednesday at the big hearing they had. We'll have audio coming up. But he had bombshell information. He was a Republican poll watcher. He saw a lot of weird things documented. It. He's a Navy veteran. He's a well-respected man in the field. And I decided... Gathering this audio for the show today, I said, "Well, let's see if I want to maybe read the New York Times story about him, so it's not some conservative site, or maybe the Washington Post, or maybe NBC News has a thing." So I did a search on Gregory Sendstrom, his name, news, Google, Fox News comes up, WJLA comes up, a story from August which has nothing, something to do with real estate, and uh, the Post Millennial. And then there's a story from the Washington Post from 2017 about Jim Webb that mentions him. No other media outlet bothered to cover not only what Sendstrom said, but that hearing in general where there were really disturbing things may not change the result in Pennsylvania this year. But these things have to result in changes to what goes on in Pennsylvania in the future. Damn well better or Republicans are screwed, Jeremy. That's the kind of blackout that we're getting. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I hope and pray that behind the scenes there's a lot of fantastic lawyers and just sort of semi-obscure people like that that are just working on this and are going to get the right result at the end of the day. But, you know, it's just I hope so. opinion and just what the narrative is in the country. And it just seems like, my gosh, if there's ever a time to just put all of our eggs in one basket, put all the energy. Oh, we lose Jeremy. I think we lost Jeremy, but I would I would love to see personally these billionaires, these so-called conservative billionaires that are out there, though they give tons of money to the think tanks. Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for pocket change for him. Buy get into the media business, okay? Even if it's a loss leader. We need to get some honest journalism, some honest reporting going on out there. It shouldn't be a struggle. We shouldn't have to read between the lines to get to the news. Anyway, we'll we'll step away here. I'm Derek Hunter sitting in for Rush Limbaugh. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. I 
was just corrected via email. The guy's name is Stenstrom, not Senstrom. I dropped the T. I have dyslexia. What do you want from me? Plus, I've been drinking all morning. Just mostly kidding. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we'll get to more of your phone calls. We're going to be joined by a representative from the state of Pennsylvania. And the Pennsylvania State House can do things about this mess that we're talking about and all sorts of other news. We'll give you the latest developments on that hearing that happened, up, this disturbing hearing that happened up in Pennsylvania on Wednesday. I'm Derek Hunter filling in for Rush. We'll be back. Today, sitting in for Rush, a noted author who's also a senior columnist for townhall.com. He's the host of his own show on WCBM in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Hunter. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Derek Hunter, sitting in for Rush today. First time jitters. Still there. I'll carry him throughout the show. That's just how I roll. Fear not, though, Rush will be back here on Monday give you a recap of everything i missed we missed three hours he's right three hours is never enough to especially in the last uh four years which seems like 400 years it's open line friday means you get to pick the topics when you get through you got to get past both nerdly though the number 800-282-2882 i want to talk about pennsylvania i want to talk about the election in general i don't know whether or not it was stolen it sure as hell seems really really suspicious that there would be 80 million people in this country looking at joe biden hiding in his basement for six months and kamala harris not doing one single press conference no scrum nothing and say i gotta have that i really gotta have that that's that's for me right there when Joe Biden opens his mouth and he loses his train of thought before it even gets out of the station, and you sit there and you think, who who looks at that and goes, more please, more please? Maybe Comedy Central, but they don't really do comedy anymore, so they probably wouldn't either. That's why it's just curious to think that not only did Joe Biden do better than Barack Obama did, he did better than anybody ever has. Something like 10 or 15 million more votes than Barack Obama. You're telling me in, in 2008, Barack Obama on the ballot, the excitement, the it, everybody knew John McCain was going to lose in 2008. It was, it was just, it was there. The only thing that gave him a chance was Sarah Palin being on the ballot. Conservatives, I mean, it was John McCain. He got glowing press coverage by attacking conservatives. So we weren't super excited about voting for him, but we held our breath and did it. But you also, you know, it's like, okay, it's going to be it's going to be Barack Obama, barring a miracle. Well, the miracle didn't happen. Then in 2012, Barack Obama actually got fewer votes than he did in 2008, because that's kind of the pattern. Not very many presidents have gone up in subsequent reelection bids. It just so happened that the Republicans didn't. The Republicans kind of got decimated in the Bush years. You had a, a vice president who, you know, I love Dick Cheney, but he didn't want to be president. So there was no heir apparent, which meant it was a free-for-all. Republicans defaulted back to 2000s runner-up and said, all right, you can have it. 
And then in 2012, it wasn't much better pickings. We ended up with Mitt Romney. All right. Lamb to the slaughter. And Romney had a good debate, and Romney did okay in the campaign. He thought, okay, maybe, just maybe, and then no. Even then, Barack Obama's vote total went down, and you're telling me that people were more excited, and it's not just population growth. Okay, we maybe gained 10 million people in population over that time period. We're expected to believe that something happened to the cities of Detroit, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Milwaukee, where people are just like, I got to I got to have that Biden. I don't know what to tell you. Give me get out of my way. I'd, I'd go trample everybody to get on that Biden. So uh, that's what seems fishy at best, to put it politely. To a lot of us out here, like it doesn't make any sense. It's maybe true, but what's a kind of a giveaway is when you do just ask basic questions, like scratching your head, going, "Wow, the city of Detroit really went overwhelmingly and in record numbers for a seventy-seven-year-old white guy who never really set foot in the city." That's kind of weird. And you ask that question, suddenly you're problematic. Oh, don't! How dare you question it? And by President Trump questioning this and challenging some of the results because there is a lot of fishiness going on, keeping poll watchers out, massive dumps of votes that went 99% to Joe Biden. Like uh, President asked questions. He's threatening our democracy. It's a threat to our democracy. No, doing, doing nothing about voter fraud is a threat to our democracy. Doing nothing about anything that's potentially cheapening the votes of Americans is a threat to our democracy. And I want to get in the Wayback Machine here for a second with Cut 7, just because the talking heads, the breathless pearl clutchers, engaging their fainting couch, you can see them collectively, they put the back of their wrist to their forehead, and they engage their fainting couch, and they fan themselves going, oh, well, I never, talking about what is happening right now. They don't remember... 2037 days of Al Gore. That that was, you know, that was I was in college then. That was massive. Nobody was going, my god, it's it's a threat to our democracy. Well, they didn't even, they didn't even bother to say that Al Gore lost his home state, lost his home district that he used to represent in Congress. It was all about Florida and why Al Gore can do whatever he wants to do. We can fully understand that. Then you have 2016 when Donald Trump won. It's like these liberals don't think we remember that. The Internet exists. It's much more ubiquitous than it was in 2001. And all of these talking heads on cable news are aware of the Internet because they're all on the Twitter and the Facebook and they're all touting their following. So that means that there's a massive archive out there of everything that they said. So I just want to play this cut between Chris Hayes and Michael Moore from 2016 to remind everybody that what Donald Trump is doing is not anywhere close in the same time zone, the same hemisphere, as what they were encouraging Hillary Clinton to do and the electors back in 2016. Here's Chris Hayes and Michael Moore hoping, praying, trying to pressure electors, members of the Electoral College, to switch their votes. Cut seven. Go ahead. I think there are people who are pushing very hard who think that um, because of some of the constitutional perils of the emoluments clause, uh, because of the popular vote margin, because of um, a fundamental, they think, 
threat to liberal democracy, that, 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 that electors should be persuaded and pressured on Monday to, to part with what their pledge is and vote, and vote against Donald Trump? Yes, they absolutely should do so? that. Absolutely. I, I believe right now that there are electors. They only need 38 of them who have a conscience or who are worried about a man who won't attend the daily security briefings, who, uh, who we now know Russia was trying to help get elected. Now that's a lie right there, Michael Moore, lying. He was a member of the liberal elite in good standing, still is. Chris Hayes is, you know, goes to the same barber as Rachel Maddow, sitting there encouraging it. You know, what have these two and others of their ilk been doing since the election? Donald Trump is refusing to accept the results of the election. It is an outrage. It's a threat to our democracy. These are, of course, the same people that say Donald Trump tweet criticizing the media is a threat to our democracy. Oh, no, our democracy. Our democracy isn't that fragile. The founding fathers were onto something. I realize you lefties don't hold them in any esteem, but uh, they knew what they were doing. You don't, but they did. Don't ever forget that. So as we enter what's going on now, it's important to have that frame of reference of how things were just four short years ago. All of these players are still with us. All of these players have just ripped off their one uniform. They took off the visitor's uniform, and now they're wearing the home uniform. They're, they're preaching the exact same opposite, or the exact opposite of what they said back then. Michael Moore was not chastised for threatening our democracy. Chris Hayes was not chastised for threatening our democracy. Not by challenging the results, by saying there was fraud, but simply bypassing the votes of the people. Donald Trump is trying to make sure that the actual votes of the people count. That's the difference between 2016 and 20, uh, 2020. Donald Trump wants to make sure they got the vote right, because if you just look at the numbers, it doesn't make any sense. It might be true, but it doesn't make any sense. So trying to make sense of it is part of what separates us from the animals. It's a good thing. We can look at something and understand things and go, how does this, what does this mean? Okay, now I get it. Now we can go on. But asking questions is a hell of a lot different than putting pressure on electors. Jason Alexander, the guy who played George Costanza on Seinfeld, put out a, like a four-minute video on YouTube. It was very, very calm. He was, he was in his room. He's wearing khakis, so you know he was very serious. And he, well, I need to talk to those electors out there. You know this is wrong. You know this is wrong. Hillary got more votes. And so we ask you to, uh, to change your vote in the Electoral College. They were actively, openly lobbying to bypass the will of the people in the various states and go right to the electors. So spare me the pearl clutching, the indignation of, oh, holy Frank Tanana, they're threatening our democracy. No, no, we're not. We're fighting to uphold the democracy because one fraudulent vote disenfranchises one American. One American being disenfranchised is far too many. I look at it the same way I look at, uh, like, the murder of Kate Steinle or anybody, any American murdered by an illegal alien. The left always, whenever there's something, I mean, they refuse to cover Kate Steinle's murder for months and months and months. And they say, when they finally did, they always put the caveat in there. Well, remember, you're more likely to be murdered by an American than you are to be murdered by an undocumented migrant or whatever they happen to be calling them at that given time. And that's true. It's a numbers game. 330 million Americans, 11 million illegal aliens. Just statistically, it goes in that direction. The difference being, 
anybody murdered by an illegal alien wouldn't have been murdered if the illegal alien weren't in the country. See, that's the difference. It's not like that movie Final Destination where it's your time, it's your time, and there's nothing you can do about it. If that illegal alien was not in San Francisco, was not in the United States that day to kill Kate Steinle, Kate Steinle would not have been murdered by somebody else. Somebody wouldn't have stepped up. It wasn't her time. He murdered her. So the same thing goes with voting. The question for leftists on immigration is how many Americans being murdered by illegal aliens is enough. Is there a line somewhere where you suddenly go, now I care. We're at X number. Now it's a problem. And before that, it's all like, well, it doesn't really matter. No big deal. The question for Democrats now on voting is, is how many Americans being disenfranchised, having their votes canceled by illegal votes is enough for you to start to care, to at least ask questions, to look in and say, wait a second, something isn't right here. This is weird. Everybody can admit it's weird when in the middle of the night, 3.30 in the morning, and suddenly there's a right angle in a graph. That doesn't seem right. When, why did it shoot up? Why are there 100,000 votes for Joe Biden and none for Donald Trump? Because that's not how vote counting works. They don't go, all right, we'll separate them into who gets what, and then we'll count the Biden pile, then we'll count the Trump pile. That's not how vote counting works, or at least it's not supposed to be. So that we have questions is normal. That the left is insisting we not ask those questions is abnormal, which gives rise to a lot of curious head scratching going, wait a second. Why aren't we allowed to ask questions? These are the people who get, uh, you know, question authority tattooed on their their face. Those are the people who consider themselves rebels, which is another thing. The left is the ultimate party of conformity absolute conformity yeah you can put a spike through your head you can do wear whatever you want you can claim some new gender you just created and be that as long as you think the way they say you'll be fine but if you happen to be you know thinking for yourself the calls for tolerance and inclusivity suddenly go the way of the dodo ask clarence thomas ask condoleezza rice how tolerant the left really is. Really, what they want when they say celebrate diversity is nothing but a bunch of different colored, like-minded drones. You're able to do whatever you want as long as you do what you're told. You're able to think whatever you want as long as you think what we think. That's the modern left. Well, when it comes to this election, no, I got some questions. You got some questions. We demand some answers. We're going to talk to somebody after the news who can maybe hopefully give us some answers. And even if the answer is, hey, It was a fluke. What are you going to do? Joe Biden's wildly popular with young urban kids. Maybe that's the case. But it sure as heck seems like fraud, and we definitely need to make sure that our elections are secure before the next one. If we don't, if we let this sort of, I'll just be generous and call it weirdness, metastasize throughout the rest of the country, Republicans will never win another election again. We can win on fair ground. Hell, Donald Trump can win when he's got $10 billion worth of free media attacks against him from the media itself. You can't beat cheating, though. That's the problem. We have some amazing audio coming up, including and your phone calls at 800-282-2882. I am Derek Hunter. 
I'm lucky enough to be sitting in for Rush Limbaugh today, who will be back on Monday. We'll be right back after this. When you read the Limbaugh letter, you're prepped to combat liberal madness because L. Rushbo supplies you with an arsenal of facts. Subscribe to the print edition of the Limbaugh letter and you'll get free. Rush's dad's famous inspiring speech, Stand Up for America as Founded, the signer secrets that can save us today. Order now at RushLimbaugh.com. You're listening to the EIB Network. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm Derek Hunter sitting in breaking news out of Pennsylvania. Good day for Pennsylvania. Federal appeals court rejected an attempt by President Trump, Donald Trump's re-election campaign to... Uh, Repeal, and this is what CNBC, the effort to undo the results of Pennsylvania's presidential election. We'll have more on this as it develops. That's the latest. Uh, there's always more. There's always more. But let's get to the phones because it is open line Friday, 800-282-2882. We go out to Los Angeles with John. Welcome to the show, John. Yes, Derek. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for making it. <laughs> I wonder if you can name another losing presidential candidate to blame his loss on election fraud. Well, privately, Richard Nixon in 1960 because of the mob in Chicago. Did Richard Nixon himself blame that loss on on, uh, election fraud? Privately, yeah. Privately, but he didn't go on television. He wasn't the president of the United States. No, but it was Marcus Kingsbury rules back then. It was a different world, John. Can you name another president in the United States who had been routinely called Hitler from the day of his election and on his inauguration day when Chris Matthews called his inauguration address Hitlerian? Oh, wait. Yeah, I no. probably could if I researched it, but but well, that's really not. I don't think that's the. I mean, that's not the president of the United States that's doing that kind of. Uh, well, Joe Biden uh, called him like troubles in Hitler this election cycle. So I mean, yeah, let's Which not pretend that that dam like didn't that. break. I will. I I appreciate the call, but I just got to say. That, yeah, things are different then. And you want to talk about how things got different. Thanks for the call, John. But let's talk about how things got different, because it was always Marcus of Queensbury rules and everybody's gentlemanly and we must all do this, that and the other thing. And everybody now on the left in the media says, Donald Trump broke all these norms. He ruined all these norms. Oh, can you believe him? Suddenly everybody turns into a cheers patron. Norms, norms, norms. No. It wasn't that long ago. The word Bush Hitler mean anything to you? One word, two syllables, Bush Hitler. Bush Hitler. They kind of said it like it was one syllable. And the left kind of said, well, we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to let him call him Hitler. Then suddenly, Bush Hitler went away and Barack Obama came. There was no Obama's Hitler. To the extent that Obama was Hitler existed, it was from the Lyndon LaRouche people. Every once in a while, they'd take a picture in the media and say, look, they've got a picture of obama with a hitler mustache there's conservatives and then you look and it's like larouche pack down in the corner those are lefties they were crazy now they're the mainstream of the democrat party but suddenly 2016 comes around and it's hitler 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 everywhere you go well that's a norm that was broken you want to talk about donald trump's incivility one thing i will point out about president trump is he doesn't hit first he hits back and he hits back hard 
as he should, as anybody should. But he is not out there picking fights with little old ladies and finding some backbench congressman nobody's ever heard of. He responds. That is maybe a new norm that you don't like if you want to go by Marcus of Queensbury rules, but he isn't out there calling everybody Mao, calling him Stalin, calling him Hitler. That's the left. That's a pretty damn big norm, so that the president kind of groused back at them. Forgive me for not caring. We'll be back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for Rush Limbaugh, Derek Hunter. Still get the chills, man. Still get the chills to hear that. I am Derek Hunter sitting in for Rush Limbaugh, who will be back here on Monday. Fear not. Welcome to the program. It's Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. Is the telephone number to try and sneak one past the goalie, Bo Snurdly, today. We are joined now by Pennsylvania State Representative representing the 86th Legislative District up there in Pennsylvania, Greg Rothman. Congressman Rothman, how are you? I'm well, Derek. How are you? I'm doing well, and I just, uh, I, the basic question, <laughs> what the hell's going on up there in Pennsylvania? Um, yeah, you had a big hearing there. You participated in this hearing on Wednesday. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me as I'm listening to this Wednesday afternoon was the testimony from Greg Stenstrom, who is a Navy veteran and a forensic computer scientist guy. He was an election observer for the Republicans. Before we get into your response to this, I want to play a clip for you and, and get your reaction to it because... Uh, no matter what happens in this election, things got to change there in Pennsylvania. So cut 10. Go ahead. What we saw there, what I saw there, was a chain of custody in all cases that was broken. It was broken for the mail-in ballots, the Dropbox ballots, the Election Day USB card flash drives. In all cases, the chain of custody and the procedures that were defined by the Delaware County Board of Elections an election process review were all they didn't follow one I, I i couldn't even redline this multi-page document because the entire document would be uh, they didn't follow any of the procedures congressman rothman wh- how is it possible for one county to is it that incompetent is it that corrupt how does one county not just get it wrong there's always going to be errors around the edges that's what being human is but to get everything completely wrong, how does that happen? Well, and, you know, we saw it's indisputable uh, that we saw in both Philadelphia County and Allegheny County that hundreds of thousands of votes were counted without any observation, without the other side being able to observe. Um, so why? Um, you know, that's that's the question we're trying to get at. But um, it's. Uh, we, the, the law that we passed back in October of 2019, Act 77, which would allow, ready for this, no excuse absentee ballot voting, mm. uh, turned into a uh, mail-in uh, ballot mail-in voting campaign that was um, changed numerous times. Uh, it was created whole cloth by the Supreme Court in the state, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they added things like that uh, ballots could receive three days after the election, that verification of signatures wasn't required. Uh, the, the Department of State created regulations that flew in the face of what the law said, including drop boxes where you could just drop your ballots off. Um, so all those things are indisputable. The question is whether or not those played a role in uh, Vice President Biden 
uh, winning the election in Pennsylvania. And there are a number of us in the legislature that are trying to get the answer to that. And, by the way, we're not um, – you know, we're not alleging anything. We, we're, we're listening to testimony. And in 2016, the same governor and the same administration of Pennsylvania waited until December 12th to certify our election. What is the urgency of, of certifying our election on November 24th this time? And well, the difference is if you certify it, then you have to officially legally challenge it. If you don't certify it, then you can possibly have a, po- a better chance of, of changing the results. Congressman Rothman, another clip from Gregory Stenstrom. I want to to skip to cut 12 here because this one, this one is bizarre to me. You were in the room and it seems to me that there was, or at least should have been an audible gasp when this happened under oath and testimony. Cut 12, go ahead. What I observed in the locked room in the back office was 70,000 unopened mail-in ballots. They were in boxes of 500 stacked in neatly the gentleman that came in with me is a was a a democrat poll watcher is a forensic pathologist a very detailed very dedicated man and he took meticulous notes as well and i verified with him are you seeing what i'm seeing we both agreed as gop poll watchers and a democrat poll watcher that we had uh, witnessed 70, 60 to 70,000. We had a little bit of a disagreement there. The problem with that was by that time, the mail-in ballots had already been counted. So 120,000 mail-in ballots had already been counted, posted, and done. So my question is, where did the 70,000 ballots go? Do we know, Congressman Rothman? Do we know what was going on there? We do not know, and uh, our our state government committee requested that the Secretary of State, uh, the Democratic appointee, come in and answer questions. She refused. Um, uh, that same committee invited Dominion voting systems and machines that uh, are in 14 of our counties in to uh, answer questions of our committee. Uh, at the last minute, they canceled. Uh, that, that's, that's the concern of many of the Republicans in the legislature, that We'd like answers. And I, I would think that anybody who loves democracy and cares about this country on either side of the aisle would want to make sure that nothing that, you know, that this this election was was legitimate. Why, you why would not? think that. But why not? Everybody wants to make sure the World Series is legitimate. But a couple of years ago, you know, now Astros fans Dodger don't fan. care all that much. Yeah, I'm a Dodger fan. I know. So, yeah. This is bigger than that. Right. I mean, yes, there isn't a next year. And when we're talking about elections in our country, because, uh, frankly, if we allow this to happen without investigating it, it just encourages bad actors in future elections or in an election in Georgia in early January. Is there any bipartisan, now Republicans control the state house in Pennsylvania, but is there any Democrat reaching out to you even privately saying, look, when the spotlight dies down, I'd get crucified by my own party if I come out now. But when the spotlight dies down, yeah, I agree. We have to make some changes here. Uh, I have not heard from any, and that, that doesn't mean there aren't good people in the party. I just haven't heard from other members have told me they have. Um, but but we're all concerned because the elections, you know, that's it's the most important thing we do. Um, it's how we choose our leaders, and whether it's uh, president or, or state representative or anywhere in between, um, we have to make sure we get it right. And the voters depend on that. We, we are a nation of. Uh, the consent of the governed, right? And so mm-hmm. if, if they're not able to choose the leaders they want, 
um, they're going to question the legitimacy of the government. So that's that's why this is so important that we get it right. And what's the rush? You know, our the the Democrats and the left held rallies the day after our election, saying count every vote, count every vote. Uh, and then as soon as Vice President Biden took the lead, they stopped talking about the vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Al Gore's playbook in Florida in 2000. Keep counting until I get ahead. It, it got Al Franken in the Senate. My guest is Congressman Greg Rothman from Pennsylvania. Now, Congressman, what can you tell? What what as you watched all of this unfold in person, and you know the players involved, you know the party machines involved, you grew up in this. What bothered you the most? What what did what was the biggest red flag for you? D- democracy dies in darkness, right? Isn't that what the New York Times says? They, no, that's the post. That, the observers, or the, yeah, the, the fact that observers from both cam- either campaigns or both parties were not allowed to observe the counting. I mean, that that to me is um, the most dangerous thing. I, I've lost plenty of elections uh, that I supported candidates to lose. That happens. We, we all know about that. But the idea that you can um, have ballots counted without, and when you have mail-in voting, it's different. It's not like you're looking at the machine. I mean, that, that hundreds of thousands of votes were counted without anybody being able to observe is is very concerning to me. And we heard that from both ends of the state, from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. And you have a room, apparently, with at least 70,000. 120,000 square foot warehouse, convention center. I mean, I think about 120,000 square feet. That's uh, and, and to be able to, you know, be 200 feet away or 20 feet away, I mean, I can't read something that's, that's 10 feet away. So... Um, Observing means something, and, and we know it's it, that's not in dispute that the Democratic-controlled uh, counties would not allow Republicans to observe the count. As you you describe this situation, and as the audio we played, a lot of people are sitting there going, "That that sounds really messed up." Why? Where are the courts now in Pennsylvania? You have a Democrat-dominated Supreme Court. Talk a little bit about what they have done to show their cards as less uh, judges and more activists. Yeah, well, they're, they're in Pennsylvania, you elect judges, so these are partisan Democrats that ran campaigns. Uh, one of them even ran on a campaign talking about how we need to change our our uh, our, our districts and our maps, um, which generally is only done every uh, 10 years, uh, and then went and voted on changing the maps. And instead of allowing the legislature to do it, the, the Democratic-controlled Supreme Court wrote their own maps, which changed our congressional elections. So, we lost how many Republican seats in that redistricting? I, by I, I think I think we lost five at that point, which so. is crazy. Yeah, and 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 gave Nancy Pelosi control of Congress. So, um, and now we're in an even number of nine and nine. But uh, this this is a very partisan court. Uh, they upheld everything that every draconian measure that our Democratic governor instituted during COVID, including a rule the other day that on Wednesday nights at five p.m. bars could no longer serve alcohol. Mm-hmm. People could still be in the bars. They could still be eating. They could still drink soda, but they weren't allowed to serve alcohol. And uh, many of these things, we appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled that the governor had that authority, which he doesn't, uh, and that the Secretary of State has, or Secretary of Health has authority that they don't. And now the Secretary of State in the election, the courts have given her authorities that, that we don't believe they're in the law. So they're of no help. How often are the, the staggered elections of how many are up each cycle for the Supreme Court? How long is the term? Uh, I, it goes to a certain age, so um, there, there will be... I think you serve. I think it's a ten-year, and you have retentions. Um, 
but we we are going to have at least one coming up. Because it seems like you have to change the court in order to change the state and the legislature, and even if you change the governor's mansion, they're there to just say, not interested, liberal policies go forward. That's right. The courts are just as important, uh, and, and maybe more so in this case. Congressman, Representative Greg Rothman of Pennsylvania, thank you for letting us interrupt your your Thanksgiving weekend. Not like there was super good news coming out of there, but we got to know because we got to know where to fight and how to fight. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, Derek. And don't give up. Never. Never. It's a checkpoint, not an end. Keep your elbows sharp and up. You're listening to the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. Pet Shop Boys. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm Derek Hunter sitting in. It's Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. You people are very, very kind uh, to hold. And I will do my best to get to all of you. We go back to the phones because it is Open Line Friday. We start up in Burlington, Vermont with Paul. Thank you for holding, Paul. Hey, Derek. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I want to agree with your point that I don't think 80 million Americans looked at Joe Biden and said, we want him. I'm sensing what happened was, I think 80 million Americans looked at President Trump and said, we don't want him. So that, I think, explains the outcome of the deal. Do you really think that many, though? Because I I could buy some of it. I'd buy five million. I bet it. You know, that's fine. President Trump is one thing President Trump does not inspire is indifference, Paul. So I'll I'll give you that. But to 15 million, 80 million people. More than Barack Obama, by double digit, by you know, 10 million or more, said, I got to go against him. There, we didn't see that kind of bump against Obama from Republicans. It just, there's a bump, but not that big of a bump. There was more of a drop in his support from 08 to 12. Do you really think that 80 million people went, I got to get rid of this guy? Because what? Let me ask you this. I assume you're up in Vermont. You got Bernie Sanders up there, and you're putting this forward. Were you one of those 80 million people who said, "I got to vote against this guy"? I, um, I was. Okay, we're all friends here. It's fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, what did Donald Trump do that so upset you that you said, "I've got to get rid of this guy"? Well, I didn't vote for him last time either. Okay, but Um, you you see, you you skipped to the. Let's just say you skipped to the polls this time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I think there, there's a number of things. I think uh, some some of the norms that you talked about earlier clearly upset some people. But uh, when I, I talked think... about those, we'll go by one one by one. But uh, when I said those norms, those norms were not destroyed by Donald Trump. He didn't come out and start calling everybody Hitler. And that's no, no, kind no. of an important norm that was destroyed no, long before I... Donald Trump came down the escalator. But I think to refer to the press as the enemy of the people, I think, is is, is unsettling. I think it's important yeah, that we have... But you acknowledge, yeah, he said the press is the enemy of the people. He actually said fake news is the enemy of the people. Mm-hmm. But he did nothing about it. For all the pearl-clutching overall, he's a threat to the First Amendment. He didn't do anything to the press. He didn't push any legislation. He didn't sign any executive orders that had to be overturned for violating the First Amendment. While Barack Obama actually spied on 20 Associated Press reporters' phones. He actually went through James Rosen at Fox News' parents' email to find sources. So saying something is one thing. 
Yeah, sticks and but the sticks and stones doctrine compared to Obama, who did something. Why didn't it bother you that Obama did something? Why did it bother you so much that just Donald Trump called him the fake news enemy of the people? Well, Donald Trump wasn't running against Barack Obama. No, I understand that. But yeah. did you did you vote for Mitt Romney in twenty twelve? I did not. I did not. I'm I'm like you said. I'm in Vermont, or Bernie Sanders. It's okay, uh, it, Paul, it's a perfectly acceptable yeah. answer to say, of course it it's is. my team, I don't care. It's it's an honest answer. I grew up loving the Red Wings, and I hated Chris Chelios. He's a hell of a defenseman for the Chicago Blackhawks. Hated him because he was so good. Then he became a Red Wing, and I loved him. I get it. It's a, the, the my team philosophy. It's okay to give that answer. Yeah. No, I think I think for a lot of people, well, again, I can speak for myself, I think for me, it started with Donald Trump's racist birther movement, which, mm-hmm. which to me was was racism, plain and simple. And clearly, again, going back to you know these twenty five some odd women that accused him of sexual assault. Those are, I mean, I I just have a real problem with that. I think I think um, it's a so you voted for Joe Biden, right? Yeah, but you know, I don't think anybody accused Joe Biden of quite what Donald Trump was. Did you buy Tara Reid's book? She's got a book. She's the one who accused him of, of what would constitute a definition, legal definition of rape, but definitely yeah, sexual no, assault. And I she actually had her. contemporaneous evidence at the yeah. time. There's also uh, allegedly a report she filed in the Senate at the time back in 1993 that is sealed in the University of Delaware in Biden's papers that he would not any, allow anybody to look at. Did that give you a pause at all, Paul? Well, yeah, I certainly didn't understand why those records weren't opened up. You know, I mean, they're in a library. It seems to me that they should be open. But, but again, I, I, I think... You the, couldn't maybe guess why? Well, I mean, why hasn't Donald Trump released his taxes? Can we guess well, why? It's, it's okay. I mean, Look, you no, don't I mean, have to do what aboutism. You can say it's yeah. my team. I, I, I care yeah. more. Well, yeah, no, it is. It is. Clearly okay. It is. That's, yeah. See, that's perfectly fair. It's... I, I don't agree with it, but you, it's perfectly yeah, fair that okay. you say it. I'm not going to judge you for saying it. I appreciate the honesty. We're literally up against the clock, Paul. I spent a lot of time with you. I appreciate it. We had a civil conversation. Nobody called anybody a Nazi, even though you probably are. No, I'm just kidding. You're listening to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm Derek Hunter sitting in. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Derek Hunter, filling the seat, doing the best I can for Rush while he enjoys the holiday weekend. He will be back here on Monday, so uh, fear not. You shall not have to hear my nasally drone on Monday. Uh, We'll get to more of your phone calls. It is Open Line Friday, plus a bunch more news coming up. Sitting in for Rush, a noted author who's also a senior columnist for townhall.com. He's the host of his own show on WCBM in Baltimore. Ladies and gentlemen, Derek Hunter. Oh, hour three. Where did hour one and two go? I am Derek Hunter. Johnny Donovan was right. Thanks. That's just a thrill to hear that and hear that music. My my city was gone. I am Derek Hunter. I'm the host of the uh, Derek Hunter Show and the Derek Hunter Podcast. And uh, 
author of the book Outrage Incorporated. Just a thrill to be here on Open Line Friday. The number 800-282-2882. The man himself, I can't thank him enough, will be back here on Monday, so fear not. Just to uh, put a fine point on what we were talking about at the end of the hour going on in Pennsylvania. Just want to point this out. Just, again, asking questions. Doesn't seem to be any problem with ask. Well, the left hates being questioned about anything. But as Americans, My we're friends, supposed to be this Thanksgiving- free to ask questions. I'm going to give you just some numbers. Not a lot of numbers, because I know numbers don't go over well on the radio. But from six counties in Pennsylvania, having to be controlled by Democrats, uh, Philadelphia, Montgomery, Delaware, Chester, Bucks, and Allegheny. Joe Biden's campaign, he managed to surpass Barack Obama's vote totals by a total of 268,000 votes in those six counties up in Pennsylvania. That's three times the current, air quote, victory margin for Joe Biden in the state of Pennsylvania of 81,660 votes. Now, Trump won this state in 2016. I'm not saying it's impossible that everybody who was excited about Barack Obama in 2008 got really doubly excited and dragged friends and neighbors to the polls. I'm just saying that seems a little unlikely. I get, I understood the, the excitement around Barack Obama in 2008 from Democrats, from the left, and from people who weren't politically engaged or didn't have any idea what the guy actually stood for or wanted to do. I could understand. You just look at it and you go, this is super exciting. He's really cool and he's the first black guy, blah, blah, blah. I got all that. Joe Biden is like, hey, it's it's the weird grandpa that you reluctantly visit at Easter. Like, uh, nobody's excited about that. Creepy guy telling stories about young kids petting his leg hair and throwdowns with corn pop in a parking lot while he's a lifeguard at a pool and somebody says, more of that, please. I I came for the whimsical, rambling, pointless stories. I stayed for the decades of casual racism. I must vote for this guy. I'm sorry. I, I just need to see some, you know, you, you go out on a golf course and you, you tell me you, you shot a 60. Okay, great. Your scorecard is nice, but I want to talk to the other people in your foursome. I got to know how that happened. That's just me. Uh, and other news over the last couple of days. There was on uh, Wednesday, there was a big victory, late Wednesday. Uh, I believe it was late Wednesday. A big decision out of the Supreme Court for religious liberty, which anybody who sits there and says, Donald Trump's tweets mean tweets uh, about the press. It's a threat to our democracy. It's a horrible, horrible thing. He Did you see that he tweeted out a meme of him wrestling the CNN logo? <gasps> How are we going to deal with this? And Brian Stelter, the human weeble over there, wobbling and not falling down, but crying silently to himself, going, this is a threat to democracy. Well, the threats to religious freedom are, because, by the way, Donald Trump did nothing about the press. By the way, he can't do anything. The First Amendment, he respects the First Amendment. The left doesn't respect the First Amendment. They don't respect really any of the amendments, particularly the second. They wrap themselves in the first while wiping themselves with the second. They uh, look at only part of the first, the part that has to do with the press. They're not so much a fan of, oh, they like the gatherings, depending on what it's for, the right to uh, peaceably assemble. They love that as long as it's, it doesn't even have to be peaceably. 
It can be full-blown riots. And you'll have Ali Velshi standing in front of the roasting weenies on a burning tire store going, it's mostly peaceful, don't pay any attention to this fire. But if people get together and say, we want to not be locked in our houses, we'd like to be able to make a living again, we can uh, resume life safely again, get out of our way, government. No, they don't like those peaceable, the actual peaceable assembly. They say, did you see they're carrying guns? Yeah. How many people got shot at those? None. How many people got killed and chop up in Seattle? Two. So if you're keeping score, I'd say, and that's just one of the riots, uh, I'm pretty sure that the side of pro-freedom has a lower body count at zero. But uh, the religious liberty aspect of the First Amendment is another part of the Constitution and the First Amendment that the left despises. They don't like religion. Their, their religion is God, or is government, and their God is climate change. And I, that's all they, they're interested in. And anything that distracts from that, you know, think about Mount Olympus. None of the gods liked any of the other gods because they all wanted to be up on top. Leftists don't like competition, even from God, to their concept of God. So you had all these states imposing restrictions on believers in various states across the country. The Supreme Court in the past has kind of let it slide, four to four generally. And four to four decisions, uh, or five to four when Darth Vader Ginsburg was alive, they, uh, they were winning. Yes, government can restrict the number of people churches have. They can close churches if they want. Well, a case out of New York went back to the Supreme Court. Only this is a different Supreme Court. This Supreme Court has Justice Amy Coney Barrett sitting on it. And in a 5-4 ruling yesterday, I guess it was, Thanksgiving Day, the Supreme Court issued an injunction blocking New York from enforcing a 10 to 25 person occupancy limit on religious institutions. This is a huge win for religious liberty, for the Constitution. Everybody gets it. Nobody's out there running around saying COVID is a myth, COVID is this, COVID is that. But if you have a large facility and and religious people, faithful people want to attend a service and they socially distance, they take care of everything else. We're told, if you can't socially distance, wear a mask. We're told masks saves lives. So if you're wearing a mask, what's the problem? We're also told masks saves lives. You must, you must wear a mask while the very same people telling us that are releasing people from prison because it's unsafe because of COVID, which I would say, give them a mask. Should be problem solved, right? You tell us, wear a mask, mask saves lives. How about you just give the prisoners masks? Seems like a way to not let rapists out of prison. I'm all in favor of that. But uh, nobody ever asked those questions because we'd have to have an honest media about it. But this Supreme Court decision reaffirming the right of the people to have freedom of religion was not met well by our leftist friends. Ben Rhodes, remember him? He was the national security advisor under uh, Barack Obama, failed novelist. He, he majored in like creative writing, got his master's degree in creative writing. And by the time you graduate college, you should just be able to write. But if you got to go back for three more years of study, hey, man, whatever. He probably really only got his job because his brother ran CBS News. 
But he was up there, and now he's an MSNBC contributor, because why not? Liberals fail up, and they fail into into high-paying jobs. He tweeted out upon the news of the Supreme Court decision, quote, the new illegitimate five to four SCOTUS majority overturning a policy to put more lives in danger. Well, what happened to freedom of choice? What happened to that? They're only they're not really into freedom of choice. One thing in one area only everything else they want to restrict. Now, in dissent, this is kind of funny, and this lets you know where the liberals on the court were coming from. Justice Sonia Sotomayor added the first footnote, the first page. This is her first footnote. Quote, Ironically, due to the success of New York's public health measures, the diocese is no longer subject to the numerical caps on attendance it seeks to enjoin. See brief blah, blah, blah. Yet the court grants this application to ensure that should infection rates rise once again, the governor will be unable to re-implement the very measures that have proven so successful at allowing the free and comparatively safe exercise of religion in New York. Um, she's praising Andrew Cuomo. Governor Andrew Cuomo oversaw more deaths than most countries. Governor Andrew Cuomo's order from nursing homes killed ten to 20,000. We don't even know how many, because they, they changed the way they counted things. It's really kind of a nice little shell game. The Cuomo's up there, and it really are like those guys playing three-card Monty in Times Square late at night constantly talking so you don't notice what their hands are doing. Andrew Cuomo issued the executive order on nursing homes, and two months later, he rescinded it. Two months later, then on his book tour, said, I didn't, we never actually used that. Well, you did, actually. People acted accordingly in accordance with the law, Governor. But it took him two months to rescind it after thousands of deaths. took him two months to order the subways to be sterilized every night like the subways it's petri dishes on wheels what why didn't it occur to you that a pandemic might spread in a tuna can on wheels underground poor ventilation but uh, andrew cuomo denied all of it i can understand the lash the, the rationalization behind the nursing home order when you think your hospitals are going to be overwhelmed you sign this and said well people in nursing home they have some medical care there so we can maybe not clutter up some beds with them they'll get the same kind of medical care we can give them in a hospital i don't understand it taking two months of not going to capacity of not needing the comfort station in new york harbor that never filled up Never got any COVID patients, I don't think, or the makeshift hospitals they constructed in in Central Park. Never got patients. So he preemptively ordered seniors to their death on the off chance, maybe even the prospect, that the hospitals are going to be overrun. But they weren't, and it took him two months to do that. But thank God for a conservative Supreme Court. If you want to practice your religion, you are now free to do so. In New York. Now, Justice Roberts sided with the liberals, which I hope you were sitting down because actually nobody's surprised by that. And the liberals were very upset. New York Times reporter Elizabeth Williamson, this is how an unbiased reporter, she's a, a New York Times reporter, don't you see? She tweeted out upon hearing the news, quote, 
Holiday service super spreaders brought to you in part by the Catholic Church, which got the Supreme Court it wanted just in time for Christmas. Sounds like she's really fair and open and willing to hear people out, doesn't it? Doesn't it? No, not at all. But this is who the left is. They show us who they are. They really do show us who they are. All we have to do is look. All we have to do is listen. Meanwhile, people are actually suffering from these lockdowns. There's a study out of uh, Virginia last week that showed that the number of Fs students were getting doubled, more than doubled. Special needs kids, more than tripled. It's been a disaster, this distance learning. But the teachers' unions love it. Teachers' unions love it. Remember when L.A. teachers' union said, we're not coming back until you do this, that, and the other thing, ensure our safety, and defund the police, which you're sitting there going, what the hell does that have to do with anything? It doesn't. It's just liberals will parasitically glom on any one of their little Christmas tree ornaments onto their their wish list of things. Then we've got this. Out of the Washington Post, virtual schooling has largely forced moms, not dads, to quit work. It will hurt the economy for years. More than two million women dropped out of the labor force as of October. The percent of American women working is the lowest since 1988. You would think Democrats, the party of women, would be a little bit concerned by this and the dilemma that families face. You would be wrong. Nancy Pelosi, she did not push through her progressive wing and say, okay, we're not going to get Republicans to agree to bail out cities and states who spent irresponsibly just yet. But we can help people. Women are suffering. We're supposed to be the party of women. I'm a woman. And Nancy Pelosi's voice, because I am not. I don't even identify as one. But she didn't. She lets it go. These women suffering, described by the Washington Post, which goes through, you know, you got to find child care, you got to find all these things now that the kids are at home. Every, every parent at home knows this. Every parent at home knows the perils of distance learning and know, should know that Nancy Pelosi is looking at that and saying, oh, how can I use this to my advantage? Which is really kind of sick if you think about it. Party of women, the party of people, the party of children, the children, it's for the children. Every other day you hear some Democrats screaming about, what about the children? We must do this for the children. What are they doing to the children? Thank God children don't get impacted dramatically by COVID-19, the exact opposite of the Spanish flu in 1918. Thank God for that. But what are we doing? We're looking at kids who are not going to be able to make up this time. We're looking at parents who are not going to be able to make up this time in earnings. The children are going to have to be held back for at least a year. At least a year. And then since not only did they not advance, they've atrophied. It might even be more than a year. Or it would be worse. I mean, I don't even know which is worse. The hold everybody back a year or just say, well, we're going to push everybody forward. You can decide. All of this while... Democrats insist on bailouts for local governments that overspent and underdelivered, trying to bail out state pensions that they overpromised on and spent the money on. The state of Illinois gives lottery winners IOUs. They're so far gone. 
ready to fund that. I'm going to take a pass on that. This is Open Line Friday. I am Derek Hunter sitting in for the great Rush Limbaugh, the number 800-282-2882. We will get to your phone calls when we get back. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Derek Hunter here on the EIB Network. It's Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. Let's talk to Paul in Lewiston, Maine. Thank you for holding, Paul. You've been very patient. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you, Derek. Great job of reporting here. Thank you. Um, I, I've been a fan of yours for years, reading you on Town Hall. You know, mm. and um, I've, You're the one. Thank you. Well, you knock, it, you knock the ball right out of the park. Uh, it's getting to the point now where I don't read the others. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them a click every now and then, Paul, just to be nice. <laughs> Listen, um, I'm, I'm a self-employed builder. I've, I've been building for 40 years. I know what it's like to do roofing. Mm-hmm. I understand that part of your, your bio was that you did some roofing for a while. I did I, uh, two summers of roofing, actually one eight-month <laughs> stint. I also did some construction, some concrete work, too, and yeah. an electrician's assistant, which was mostly digging ditches and blowing wire through tubes. <clears throat> well, you know, I would attribute uh, your skill as a writer to being a good roofer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's so much time to think, and it makes you ugly, you know. Roofing make, can make you ugly. It makes you filthy. I still have my red wing boots covered in that 800-degree tar, and I still have some scars on my legs from it. That is amazing. It's really amazing. So we've got a lot in common. I chaired the Ron Paul campaign in 2012 here in Maine, mm-hmm. um, and I've had my feet on the ground, and I I network well with the grassroots. Um, I... Um, I passed on your articles to a lot of other people. People are tuning in, so you might want to keep that point, the point of that pencil sharp again, keep continue <laughs> writing as well as you do. Um, well, thank the, you. Uh, I, I wanted to say that was, uh, it was a great ruling yesterday, and, of course, Cuomo didn't take much time to do damage control. It said that the... Uh, uh, the decision was irrelevant. They blast. Well, the the way they try to do it, and this is what Roberts fell for, is right two days before the court was to rule, we get to hear the case. The court, uh, the state said, we're going to lift the restrictions now, right? And try to say, well, there's nothing to rule on. We're not oppressing anybody. But that would just mean that they could slap them back on, wait for the appeal to get up to the Supreme Court, pull it back off again, and play that little shell game. Yeah. And that's what Gorsuch actually blasted Chief Justice Roberts for, because Roberts yeah. said we're right on the merits, but there's really no harm here since the the things have been pulled back. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's manipulation. It's like filing suits yeah. in 15 different yeah. places across the country. It's judge shopping kind of way. It, it's a, it's predictable, you know. It um, is, Paul. I I hate to cut you off because you've been so kind, but you made me embarrassed, and we're up against the clock. Enjoy some lobster up there. Say hi to my friend Garrett if you run into him. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Rush Limbaugh Show. We'll be right back. And now, back to Derek Hunter, filling in for Rush on the EIB Network. Really is Derek Hunter, filling in for Rush. Hi, Dad. Dad listening up in northern Michigan. Uh, a couple. We'll get to more of your phone calls, I promise. It is Open Line Friday, but uh, my mouth does have a lot of uh, things to get out of it. I want to talk a little bit about the pardon of General Flynn. Judge Sullivan 
It's really just been a disgrace to the bench, bench in dragging his feet on dropping charges against General Michael Flynn for the, the crime of allegedly lying to FBI agents when the first pass of those FBI agents said he didn't lie to us. They also had the transcript. The only reason to go and talk to Michael Flynn was in the hopes that he says something they could contort into a lie. It was part of they got to get something. The left, the one thing the left has spent doing consistently throughout the Trump years is trying to claim scalps. That's it. They don't care. You know, you got to take down an American hero. Who cares? Is it is it the Trump scalp? Well, let's get it. Let's just get it. It's it's really sick. And so when uh, President Trump had been holding off on the pardon, I think President Trump would have granted this pardon a long time ago, but General Flynn wanted the exoneration. Judge Sullivan refused to drop the charges, of course, everybody knows that, and appointed a retired judge to come in and advocate on behalf of the court, which almost unheard of, to say why the charges shouldn't have been dropped, which is ridiculous. Then uh, that case kept going forward, getting appealed and appealed. It was dragging out, dragging out, dragging out. And Judge Sullivan, rather than handle his defeats at the appellate and, and federal court levels, he decided, well, we got to have more hearings on this. And he scheduled them. And then he scheduled, he delayed them. And he delayed them past January 20th. Just coincidentally, I'm sure. It was, you know, just a technical oversight hoping that Donald Trump wouldn't be president after then. Well, Donald Trump looked at that and said, this is this is enough. While I still can, who knows what will happen before January 20th, but while I still can, I'm going to grant the pardon. And so General Flynn is free. Yet there are leftists out there who are wildly unhappy. One MSNBC legal analyst, MSNBC and NBC News legal analyst. It's the whole cable news world is so incestuous so former federal prosecutor under barack obama of course he is advocating for judge sullivan to demand that the lawyers from the justice department come in and explain to him how this pardon is not corrupt now he he posted a 10 minute video on youtube yesterday i'm not going to bore you with it but i watched it and i was like well what what is the justification for some lawyer some former federal prosecutor some cable news talking head what is it that uh he says that is so wrong about this and all he does is repeat the word corrupt about 150 times every third sentence has the word corrupt in it's corrupt pardon corrupt this trump's corruption corruption you notice that the left never actually says what it was we had the caller earlier what was it that donald trump did that you didn't like there was no i didn't care for his tax cuts or anything like there was no substantive not to pick on that guy but you ask any liberal who has trump tourettes where they just freak out trump ask them what trump did what does he do that's so bad they don't have an answer for you what did he do how is he a threat to democracy how is it that how is he hitler how is this having they don't have an answer. It's just, well, Trump. Trump's bad. Trump's corrupt. He's making himself rich off of the White House. Really? His net worth has gone down. Well, uh, But still, you eventually get to the point where they just give you the yeah, but still defense, which is nothing. It means they give up, but it doesn't matter. They know that they don't have an answer, and they don't care. That's essentially the yeah, but still argument that they engage in. So after the pardon 
uh, Michael Flynn, the cable news world went absolutely berserk, as they do. Mara Gay is a member of the New York Times editorial board. She was on MSNBC talking about this. And you want to talk about unhinged. This is a, the editorial board. This sets the tone for the paper. This is the paper's, you know, they, she's got to vote on the paper's official position on things. And they, they write their official position on there. She uses MLK to make a Nazi comparison. I, I'm not even kidding. Cut four. Go ahead. We got cut four? No, we don't have cut four. She, she, remember, MLK said that everything that happened in Nazi Germany was legal. And that is the explanation and the way things are in the Trump administration. Talking about the pardon of General Flynn. Now, General if you believe everything about General Flynn, if you believe it all, his crime, in quotes, was lying to FBI officers, FBI officials, FBI agents. That's it. That was it. Now, you shouldn't lie to FBI agents, but those FBI agents did not believe that he had lied to them at first. And yet for that, they want him to go to prison. They've already ruined him. They've already forced the sale of his home. They've already threatened his son to get the guilty plea. And the left wants him to rot in prison. Now, what was his sin again? His sin was working for Donald Trump. That's enough. And that sin is going to follow everybody who worked for Donald Trump. Now, you remember the Clinton-Bush years, right? It goes Bill Clinton to George W. Bush. What did George W. Bush do? And this is kind of the way things go. You want to talk about norms. George W. Bush comes in, there's a lot of weird things going on in the Clinton administration. It wasn't just Monica Lewinsky. There was, remember the China fundraising? Remember Al Gore went to a Buddhist monk out, uh, a monastery out in California, came away with $200,000 from Chinese monks who took a vow of poverty? Gee, where did that money come from? We had uh, actually people, chi- Chinese citizens, fleeing the country. They still haven't returned who were the ones who were the bag men for the Chinese communists. Seems like kind of a big deal. George Bush comes in. George Bush is a very old school politician. He says, we're going to look forward and not backwards. And everybody in the Clinton administration said, Mark Rich bought his pardon. That's all right. We're not going to look into that. We're not going to look into anything. That big donation to the Clinton library, no big deal. The Clintons were good and good to go. Then Barack Obama comes in. What did Barack Obama promise to do? He wanted to go after people who'd done things in the war on terror during the Bush administration. You, you poured water up Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's nose. That's it. You got to spend the rest of your life in prison. You're a monster. Oh, really? A poor guy. He's only the mastermind behind 9-11, and you poured a, a water up his nose. And poor dear. So uh, I forget who it was, but somebody in the CIA destroyed the tapes. Destroyed the tapes, which, God bless him. Thanks for doing that. The Obama set the tone that they were not going to play by the old rules. Again, there was no, oh, my goodness, Barack Obama is breaking the norms. There was no concern about that whatsoever. So it would not, 
And then, of course, the transition with Trump. They were spying on the Trump campaign. They were spying on the Trump transition team. They kept that apparatus in place to spy on the Trump administration and try and frame up the Trump administration. One thing they haven't done is prove any actual crimes. They've alleged all of them, but they haven't proven any of them. So why should we expect them to be different if Joe Biden ends up in the White House? Why would we expect them, people who to this day, if you mention the name Ronald Reagan, will spit on the ground and go, oh, he was the worst. It just this really visceral, angry response to a guy's existence who died almost 20 years ago, hadn't been president for 30 years. You mention Ronald Reagan and they just go crazy over it. Trump is going to supplant that. So anybody who worked for Donald Trump is probably going to have to spend the rest of their adult lives looking over their shoulders. When you have an attorney general in the state of New York who ran on the promise that I am going to investigate all of Trump's businesses, all the Trump children, anybody named Trump, anybody who plays Euchre, and anybody who ever was involved with Trump businesses. We're going to see if they did anything wrong. That is... That is Banana Republic stuff. We'll find out if you broke the law. But normally, investigations require an allegation of law-breaking. Of course, she won in New York. She's a hero of the left. So Matt Gates the other day, congressman from Florida, came up with an idea. This is going to be cut 15. president needs to just basically pardon everybody, preemptively. Um, I think there might be some merit to to this cut 15 go ahead should pardon michael flynn he should pardon the thanksgiving turkey he should pardon everyone from himself to his administration officials to joe exotic if he has to because you see from the radical left a bloodlust that will only be quenched if they come after the people who worked so hard to animate the trump administration with the policies and the vigor and the effectiveness that delivered for the american people and so i think that the president ought to wield that pardon power effectively and robustly it's kind of a fun idea I like it, but I have a suggestion Suggestion for you, Mr. President, if you're listening. Not only should you issue blanket pardons to pretty much everybody in your administration just for fun, you should all, the left will go berserk and say, this is an admission of guilt. They do that every They do that with Michael Flynn, even though he's not guilty. This is an admission of guilt. If he accepts the pardon, it's an admission of guilt. Just for fun, just for, hear me out, the president should also pardon Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, uh, James Comey, Brennan, all of them, every single one of them, issue a blank sort of pardon for their crime. Actually, very, very specific in the crimes, for spying on this, violating the Fourth Amendment. Issue those pardons. They're not going to be prosecuted anyway. I know everybody's holding out hope for Durham, but that's that horse ain't going to hunt. So pardon them all. Throw them all pardons out there. Put them on the defensive. Neuter the idea that accepting a pardon or getting pardon means an admission of guilt and throw it right back in their faces. And you can put any declaration next to the pardon you want as you sign it. Put it in there for the crime of this, that, and the other thing. I offer a full pardon to Peter Strzok. How fun would that be? Watching these people squirm. Uh, No, I didn't do it. What? 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 Yeah. Welcome to the party, pal. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. Welcome back to the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Derek Hunter sitting in for Rush, who will be back 
on Monday. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Rush, the institution will be back. And one institution that understands and shares the true story of Thanksgiving in this nation is Hillsdale College. It's a college that Rush is especially proud to speak of. This Thanksgiving season, our friends at Hillsdale College are taking time to appreciate their blessings. The faculty and staff at Hillsdale are thankful that you are standing with them again this year, and that many of you have chosen to participate in their teaching. This year, they have put a substantial effort into the various online video courses and their publications, and every one of them is free to watch and read, thanks to Hillsdale's many supporters. They don't take your time and attention for granted. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held true to its mission to provide the education essential to preserving free government. It ain't easy, as we are learning. Now, you've seen and heard what they've created in the last decade to best provide that kind of education to you, as well as to those attending their classes and lectures. You you know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. That independence is what allows Hillsdale a freedom to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom without interference. At no time... In our nation's history, has there been a greater need for the kind of classical liberal arts education that Hillsdale offers on its campus and nationwide? From them to you, thank you. And to learn more about Hillsdale College, you can always visit RushForHillsdale.com. In fact, that's where you go to sign up for the free online courses. And they are free with no strings attached. It's RushForHillsdale.com. Yes, Rush. Rush will be back here on uh, on Monday. I grew up in Michigan. I knew all about Hillsdale. Wish I could have gone there. It's open line Friday. Let's get some phone calls in here. Vern in Baltimore has been very patient. Thank you for holding, Vern. Hey, Derek. You're doing great, by the way. Thank you. Um, Nervous you're, still, you're but... The, you're, you're the first person to mention the, the hypocrisy of the AOC and pull yourself up by your bootstraps analogy. From a failed bartender to a super famous and soon to be mega millionaire. Right. You're going to write a book. It'll probably be illiterate, but it'll sell a million copies. It's coming. Uh, I know. It'll be and, a coloring book. You know, America sucks and you don't have a chance. That should be the title. That really is their message. It's Barack Obama's message. It's Elizabeth Warren's Elizabeth Warren, when she grew up on a reservation somewhere in Oklahoma, and now she's a multimillionaire United States senator. Barack Obama grew up with two parents, neither of whom wanted anything to do with him thrown off on the grandkids or the grandparents, and he ends up going to three of the most elite colleges in the country, in the world, and becomes president of the United States, and he's going to tell you the system is rigged against you? But they just think they're so special, Vern. That's the thing. They only think that they can only in America, that. right? Yeah, that's the beauty of America, and that's kind of what they want to destroy. I, I just don't have much care or respect for people who gleefully climb the ladder of success and then pull it up behind them. And that's the way I view Democrats. Bert, thank you for the phone call. we got to take a break here as it winds down to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Derek Hunter filling in. We'll be right back. You're listening to the EIB Network. Midnight hour. Man, the time really does just fly. I guess the terror of white knuckling for three hours behind the golden EIB microphone really makes time fly. 
I am Derek Hunter. You can find me on Twitter at Derek A. Hunter, D-E-R-E-K, the way the name was meant to be spelled. Don't forget to follow Rush while you're out there at Real R. Limbaugh on Twitter. He's just about half a million followers ahead of me. I shall catch him. Uh, I have a daily show on WCBM in Baltimore from 9 until noon. Um, check that out. The Derek Hunter podcast is a completely different entity where you can find me five days a week on iTunes or whatever. My book, Outrage Incorporated, How the Liberal Mob Ruins Science, Journalism, and Hollywood, is available for your your bathroom reading now. I want to thank a lot of people. I want to thank Rush first and foremost. It's amazing that uh, he didn't poo-poo this idea. I want to thank his brother David, who's a good friend. I want to thank Bo Snerdly, James Golden, for trusting me enough with this. I want to thank Connie and Liz for pushing James into listening to me. I want to thank everybody who ever got me into radio. I want to thank WCBM. Uh, I want to thank my dad. Love you, Dad. My mom. Miss you, Mom. Have a great weekend. Rush will be back here on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.